0: Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. This is episode 80 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today we are back with part two of our conversation with Taylor Evans, all about working in inpatient rehab.
1: So the after that, after I've determined that part, basically day two is do we need to do another mbss or fees or both can we go ahead or do i have the information i need from the prior uh, instrumental to go ahead and start with direct treatment in my experience it's about 50/50 about half of them are ready to go i know what to start targeting and i've kind of done you know some assessment the first day for what they might be able to handle and then i can move forward the other half i really need to get that instrumental i don't have you know x-ray vision or you know superman eyes to be able to see what's going on in their throat and i don't i don't play with that i don't go ahead and i don't want to waste time teaching about aspiration precautions and exercises and this that and the third when i could just get the instrument instrumental and, you know know what i'm doing as i start and i'm fortunate enough to do about 95 percent of the modifieds for the building and be able to to figure that out and get them started on that The one thing that is kind of a bummer is that if they do need an instrumental, that is their one-on-one session for the day. So I might see them in the group and they're modified or their fees and that's it for the day, but it's necessary. It can't, I can't stop. Right. So day three, I typically, if I can, and if the pay depending on the patient's cognitive status, I like to review the video of the study with them and invite the family caregivers. And we go over, You know, these are your pathophysiological impairments. Here's the rationale for why I chose the diet. Here's the rationale for why I'm picking these exercises that you're going to learn tomorrow. Here's your prognosis, your risks. If you choose not to go with this plan of care, we can discuss a change and what you want to do, and kind of a QA. and a I like to, I I don't like to shove treatment ideas onto patients and say, okay, I've already done the modified. I know what to do. We're just going to start doing this. I think people are owed the respect and the dignity of you explaining what you're going to do before you do it.
0: I love that Taylor. And,
1: (laughs) and if you can't answer their questions, and if you can't explain what's going on on the video in front of them, then you're already in trouble, and you might you might avoid a lot of issues down the road, or you might. See that was them. what
0: I wanted to to reiterate, is I think there's just so many times SLPs are like, well, they won't do this, and they won't do that, and it's like, does the patient know why that's important? Mm-hmm. Does the patient know why you want them to do that? Mm-hmm. Is the patient okay with wanting to do that? I think there are so many things that can be said and discussed on the front end, that. You know, it's supposed to be a treatment plan. It's supposed to be people getting together and coming up with a plan together. It's not just barking orders and saying, this is what you need. You're going to be on thick and liquids. These are the exercises you must do every day. And I think that's where we get our, we shoot ourselves in the foot a lot
1: of the times. I mean, we talk about how much we wish that we could see every video of every instrumental, even if we got the report. Why are we basically asking our patients to do something different than that when we're giving them a verbal rundown of our impression, which is like a verbal report, and we're not allowing them to see the video? Granted, they're not swallowing specialists. They're not going to be able to interpret it in the same way. But if we are specialists in communication, you should be able to alter your communication to explain it in a way that makes sense to your patient that will get them to understand that.
0: I had a guy today that's been he was put on honey thick in the hospital. From from an MBS, the report said aspiration with thin, penetration with nectar, so they put him on honey. Nothing else was stated. That was it. So I did the fees today. Thank God. And what'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> Thank and God. and the guy, just such a cool guy. And he was like, All right, tell me what you're looking at. I wanna know everything. And I was like, Okay. So I was like, do you want to know while we're doing the study or do you want me to tell you after? And he's like, no, I want just, I want you to, I want to watch it while it's going on. Tell me everything. So I told him and he's like, okay, so I want it to not go in that black hole. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, what if it does? And I was like, well, we'll talk about that. So he takes, you know, a few sips of nectar, didn't, it was beautiful swallow. I think he took like two sips of thin, beautiful swallow. The third sip of thin, he penetrated, but he coughed it out. And he goes, well, he goes, well, I think it went near that black hole, but I coughed, which I think is what I'm supposed to do. So it still counts, right? It didn't go in the black hole. And I was like, you're right. So then at the end, I was like, how do you think I did? And he was like, or he was like, I was like, how do you think you did? And he's like, well, I think I did great. And he was like, it went in the black hole a few times, but I coughed it out. So I don't need that thickened stuff anymore. And I was just like. <laughs> I just was like, this dude is, and I don't want to say smarter than a lot of other SLPs out there that are. That's what I
1: was. But, like. In a way, I was just like, <laughs> it's not speech pathology, it's not rocket science. Like, No. No,
0: no. And I, it was just, you know, it was great. And he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not drinking that thick and stuff, anyways. I don't care what you say, I don't care what you do. And I was like, buddy, that's fine. Like, you, you know, you can make your own decisions here, but I'm glad that you saw. If you are coughing, it's because it is going near your airway. For sure. And yeah, I mean it was it was a great like teaching moment all around for him for me, and I just I I really love that type of dynamic learning. So.
1: I mean, any excuse for me to run my mouth about what I know, I'm going to take. Right. It, so <laughs> right. <laughs> so then, let's see. After that, that's the day that direct treatment with. I mean, like exercise, typically, um, direct intervention, not just compensatory strategies. Sometimes it might be day three or four before that actually starts, depending on how much information I have. Um, So that day, I kind of spend trialing, educating on the exercises that I'm going to be targeting. The first session, I kind of tailor it to a general introduction where we might do a set of each exercise, depending on how many. Um, I don't like to give more than two or three if I can help it. And then explain to them, you know, remember yesterday when we saw this happen, this exercise is gonna help with that. And I have like this cool, like dummy like model larynx and like a, a like a swallow track that I will like show them. So they have the image from yesterday and today. And so when I'm explaining, all right, when you do a tongue press with an effortful, or when you do I'm This is what's happening. This is what's moving. And that's what we want. So that I'm not just telling them, okay, here's the exercise. Here's how you do it. But they get a buy-in. I mean, or an OT. They know that if you're doing this, I'm sorry, they can't see me. If you're doing like a bicep curl, <laughs> this is working my arm. I may not be able to tell you the word bicep, but I know it's my arm. And people don't know swallowing musculature like we do. And it. we can explain that to them so that they get, okay, this... I know now why I'm doing this exercise instead of because then you get into the some patients love or tolerate or like some exercises and hate others Um, but when you kind of explain look you have these four problems and here are the things that are going to kind of target it you can't just leave one out yeah I feel for me I feel like there's more buy-in so after that I do give them a written handout but I tailor it to them so they don't have like a list with 10 million things on it it's just specifically what they need to do and i include how many reps how many sets how many times a day if before meals or after meals if that's indicated and when i think their next modified is going to be so that when they're looking at it they can kind of see okay four more days, three more days, like I'm because that's the that's the goal. It's not just the discharge goal. But like, they know that they're kind of working out for the for the modified or for the fee.
0: Well, it's like I mean, I, I I really love when I go in and I do a fees and the patient's like, I'm so excited you're here. I've been like, working so hard. Like I've been doing my exercises for a whole week, you know, to see you and that like, I like that because yeah. it's like, The patient should be kind of in charge of their own care. You know, they should be the driver of their care. And then, you know, there's other situations that I go in and they're like, who are you? Why are you here? You know, and it's like, I I think just the patient deserves to know everything, basically.
1: One of my really good friends, I'm going to give a shout out, um, Dr. Marianne Weatherill. She did a...
0: Oh, I met gasha you
1: did i
0: did we sat next to each other at lunch
1: she is fantastic
0: she was the sweetest thing ever
1: she she's brilliant i mean yeah she actually uh was one of my clinical supervisors in grad school my
0: goodness
1: taught like our communicate our cognitive communication course for a while and uh i've worked with her she worked there in where i work anyway So she has done a lot of research on motivation.
0: That's exactly what she was telling me. Yeah. I was so, I was like just hooked on everything she was saying for the longest time. Yeah.
1: And I loved it. It just made, it just made so much sense to me about just talking with her and thinking about that, how it's so funny, regardless of what discipline you're in, we all know And we all even put it in like our progress notes or discharge summary. Patient highly motivated to blah, 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 blah.
0: Patient doesn't give a shit today. What does
1: that mean? (laughs) And what are you actually doing? If we all know that motivation is really, really important to making gains, what are we doing to promote that? And what are we doing to assess that? And what are we doing to prevent loss of motivation? I just... I have to give her a shout out for that because she really got me thinking about a lot of this and how to set up a patient so that you get them psyched for, for speech instead of dreading it.
0: Yeah, I know. I loved it. Oh, I I love that you're friends with her, Taylor. I don't know. I don't think I asked her if I, if she knew you.
1: Oh Lord. I'd be that
0: would fan. have been a whole nother five hour conversation. So.
1: No, it's okay. <laughs> That's great. Cr- it's a small speech world.
0: It is. It is. Yeah.
1: So let's see after that um basically day 5 through 10 ish you're just continuing with your one on one you're kind of changing as you go as you need to the thing that i have to you know shout out about this is that it's not a vacuum so you're having to balance their cognitive goals and their voice and their disarthric goals and figuring out how much time you need to spend on each or how you can melt them together i am a big proponent of functional cognition training for if they and it's like sometimes the the other slps are like pts or oceans will kind of make fun of me because they're like i can't i'm sometimes i'm looking at you and i can't tell what discipline you are because i'm like all right we're going to sequence this transfer we're going to get up and we're going to verbalize it and we're going to be able to tell Susie you know cna exactly how to move you and or and they have aphasia or they have sequencing issues or. They have some like visual field cut where they're not going to remember to lock their brake, and being able to verbalize those steps, going through that. But if I can also do that with dysphagia, with their strategies, which what's I mean functional eating, got to do it multiple times a day. No shade to OT; you only have to get dressed once, you only bathe right. once. Like there's, right. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world to me. And that's a great measure of what, if they're remembering, I mean, beyond other things there's you can definitely kind of check that out or divided attention. Can they talk and eat and, you know, with noise in the background and still do their strategies. And anyway. So let's see. After that, I'm, you know, looking at upgrade trials, looking at other, Treatments related to dysphagia, or decant, still targeting decannulation, if maybe if they're um, still trached, uh balancing all that it all comes together. It's totally different for each patient because the cool, awesome thing that I just love and never want to give up about where I work is that it is just the variety of patients is insane, and it's it's never the same, which is amazing. I have we have a great one of the best organ transplant teams in my hospital
0: uh, that fascinates the crap out of me I think. oh
1: my gosh like I, I
0: forget i heard a guy talk from duke about like doing lung transplants i think it was at asha last year or something and i was like what?
1: oh my gosh their reflux like their tracheal esophageal like juncture right there at the ubs it's bananas like they have the most insane reflux Ever and you want to talk about pissing a pulmonologist off you let gastric contents get into the well
0: i think that's what part. the guy was yeah i think that's what the guy was and he was like don't do this don't do that yeah and i yeah
1: you gotta be real you are not going yeah. in there doing a normal bedside just to see what makes them cough oh no yeah <laughs> not in a fresh pair of yeah. lungs. yeah no 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 no
0: yeah not in the shiny new lung,
1: <laughs> but even like our heart transplant patients, like so many vagal involvements, I mean even you know diaphragm paralysis or just the the respiratory rehab of for the voice even of even if there's not a vagal involvement for the ribs expanding for their diaphragm, just not being strong enough from that open heart surgery, liver transplants, whew, delirium, whoa, kidney transplants if. They're having other issues with their hydration. They sometimes have some weird kind of issues that might involve us. And I see head and neck cancer, trauma, burns, stroke, brain injury, Parkinson's, ALS, MS. I mean, literally, I don't, when I hear other people talk, I don't, I can't think of any specific population that I'm just like, no, I never ever see that. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think of it now and I can't think of any which I'm like so blessed and lucky to have, but it it calls for a a lot of long nights reading. And
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's like what I love about what I do too, is I just travel to so many facilities. Like I was at a facility today and I can't think of what I'm so brain dead right now, but the girl, like I walked in the SLP was like, have you ever heard of this? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I've never heard of this before. I was like, yeah. I'm like, it's definitely rare, but like I have enough experience with it, but Yeah, I think that's what I love is that I just kind of, like you said, I mean, I just get constant crazy cases of
1: all sorts of different things. And that, and it's also almost never just one thing (laughs) that they're there for. There's the comorbidities are insane. So learning kind of how, I mean, we really, really are in in that kind of setting, at least to me, true pathologists that you have to figure out, you can't just you know, be like, I'm an SLP that treats stroke. And this is the pathophysiologies that I'm familiar with. You really have to be that detective investigator to figure out now, how did this impact that? It doesn't, what? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's a fun challenge. Oh, I forgot to say at the beginning about we harped about length of stay. Typical length of stay is 14 to 17 days. Whereas, you know, we used to get three to four months. Now we're begging for three weeks. I would say they tell patients coming in on average, you can expect at least two, you know, around two weeks. Yeah. Sometimes patients stay longer. Our spinal cord patients, our burn patients, and our like polytrauma that are, we, we call them dual diagnosis, their spinal cord injury and brain injury, especially when they're like a high uh, cervical spine and they're trached. Those three specifically that I can think of, they stay longer. But even then, it's like five or six weeks.
0: So where do they typically go after they leave you?
1: So I think right now, maybe I shouldn't give that statistic, but I know that most of our patients go home.
0: Yeah, awesome. Either go
1: to outpatient or home health. A small percentage go to a sniff an even smaller go to like an assisted living or personal care home temporarily. And some of them are going not to just outpatient, but like a rehab day program where it's basically the same thing. They get three hours a day, but three or four days a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Instead, I mean, to me, like, I just want to scream from the rooftops, like the importance of like early intervention and getting in there and getting these patients to the help they need early. Like, I feel like, yeah, like, I feel like that's what frustrates the living crap out of me is like when I get a patient that's just been sitting someplace for so long and then they got transferred to this next place. And it's like, I I just I actually had a guy a few weeks ago and he was sent to a rehab center here that's supposed to be like a pretty top notch rehab center. They took him specifically because he needed speech and they didn't have a speech pathologist on staff.
1: First of all, how are you rehab a top notch rehab facility without a speech pathologist?
0: I I had so many questions. I had so (laughs) many questions, but like luckily the guy knew and the guy fought hard enough that like they kept him there for like two, three weeks. Basically he was like, get me the hell out of here. I do not need to be here. I need to work with a speech pathologist and they finally moved him to this new place and he was doing, he did great. And he, you know, thrived within like a week or two and then went home. But like for the last three to four months, this man's life has been completely uprooted and flipped upside down because he did not get the proper care that probably had he had right off the bat would have been like, you know, two, three weeks tops. Man. So, yeah.
1: That just, uh.
0: Yeah. I so I think that. like when I hear these, like these SLPs say like, oh, they're just not ready or they're too sick or it just, I, yeah. I think, did you say something about like, they're not too sick? Or I think it was Kelsey on my last episode said something like, if they're conscious, they're like, they're ready to go.
1: Right. So, and yeah, I mean, I mean, we have a specialty hospital here that does disorders of consciousness. So even <laughs> there's some SLPs. Oh my gosh. Actually, um, that's crazy, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, that, those kind of, and I think it was me. I said it at the, um, the inner circle meeting. Yeah. That makes me want to flip a table because when you are an SLP, you're not just like, I'm an inpatient rehab SLP or I'm an outpatient SLP. Whatever level of care they need from you, if it's more like what they would do in acute care, do it. I mean, I also have, Really high, high level cognitive patients that just want to go back to work, and yeah. I'm not—I don't tell them I'm not an outpatient SLP. You can work on that in outpatient. No, like right, gotta, right. it, whatever you need, you're here. You're stuck in this building. I'm supposed to be able to have the skill set to help you. I've got to figure out how to do that. It. So, I mean, we have patients that I, I, like I said, they're coming straight from ICU. I'm doing exactly what the acute care SLP would do right out of the ICU on the main floor. And then I have patients on the opposite end of the spectrum that I'm working, maybe preventing them, in some cases, from having to go to outpatient yeah. instead of making them just wait. So yes, like early intervention, but there's not, there's not like a, you should be adjustable enough to, you adjust to what the patient needs. Patient-centered care means they determine what they need. Based on where they're at, you have to fill those needs. Yeah. And in whatever way you can. I mean, there's certain limitations, you know, for access to things like that and facility requirements and regulations. But once you're in the room with them, you know, I hear you, it may not be the thing. Get to work. Right. It may not be what you had planned. It may not be, you know, this nice little cute. Okay, I just wrote you up a two week protocol day one, day two, day three. It's, uh, I mean, I I don't do that anymore because that's insane. That they change so much.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, and you know, I mean, that's really like this wasn't supposed to be like a plug for the collective or anything, but like the reason I created the Met SLP collective was because like I was just finding that there's so many SLPs that want to like help their patients. Like you said, they may, you know, they may need everything. You're trying to balance dysphagia, dysarthria, voice, but it's like, I'm just a dysphagia specialist. I'm doing air quotes here. I don't really know anything about dysarthria or voice. Therefore, my patient's not getting it until this next level of care. And that sucks. Like, that's not fair to your patient that because you didn't learn about these other areas that they got stuck with you. And now they're being punished until maybe they do need to go to another level of care. Maybe they do need to go to outpatient because you didn't take it on, basically. I think it's really, you know, as much as we can say that education is shitty, training is shitty, clinical supervision is shitty, like, it's really your own responsibility to improve your competencies enough to work with these patients. Like, you want to work in inpatient rehab, you better know how to treat all these conditions.
1: Yeah. I mean I've had a
0: glass of wine, I'm fired up now.
1: <laughs> I mean, mine is a Mason jar of wine, um, cuz I'm in Georgia. But no, I mean, amen to that. And I love that about our field that you constantly have to keep learning and I just I can't feel good about myself going home knowing, you know, I don't know what to do with this patient and I guess, you know, they're just not appropriate or like excusing away instead I have, but that's also a problem of, of mine. I don't know when to let like go.
0: <laughs> <Yeah, laughs>
1: sometimes yeah. is, you know, I have to do something this like urge to do something yeah. or to figure out what to do. And I mean, I'll be very honest with my patients and I do treat voice and dysarthria and cognition and things like that, mostly swallowing. I would say a good 75%, 80% of my day is just swallowing, and I love it that way, and I, I am a dysphagia person. But at the same time, it, I will tell my patients, you know, I think you could benefit from an AAC device, and I can, you know, test for basic language skills and their visual field and their access to it but figuring out what device to get them and how to order it i'm gonna tell you i'm like listen i'm a dysphagia dude i don't i I can find someone for you here are my recommendations i can give them all the information they need but yeah this is not my strongest area but we're gonna do the best we can
0: But I think just having that underlying knowledge, Taylor, I mean, just having that foundational knowledge is I think what I just wish for like every SLP, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, and I just on the flip side, I want to say there there was a situation in the collective this week where a girl, I think she works at like a sniff that has never had like a trach or vent patient. She's never experienced a trach before. And they all of a sudden decided to start taking trach patients. So she was freaking out, like, what do I do? What do I have to know? And you know, somebody chimed in and said, you know, you need to respect the ASHA code of ethics, which first says like, you'll do no harm. Right. You don't, you don't know this. So, you know, she luckily went to her supervisor and just said like, I cannot treat this patient. I do not know anything about trachs.
1: Right.
0: You know, so, I mean, there is definitely that If you don't know about an area at all, don't go in and treat it. But on the other hand, if you're working at a facility that is constantly getting these types of patients, I think it's really crappy of you to not uplevel your skill set to be that person, you know, to be blindsided is one thing, but to constantly go into work and just say, oh, I don't know anything about that, even though half your your caseload is that consistently is cruddy.
1: It's just what you said about like operating within the code of ethics and your own competency and there's, there's nothing wrong with not knowing everything. And I would go, you know, other than like maybe a customer service standpoint, there's nothing wrong with letting your patient that you don't know everything. There is, I mean, physician, like an intensivist or maybe not intensivist, like a physiatrist or a general practitioner doctor is not going to sit there and pretend like he's a cardiologist or a neurosurgeon if he's not. So why do we beat ourselves up for, for doing the same thing? But then again, you have to go into the room and say, here's what I think that we can do. I need to look this up and I'm going to treat you conservatively within what I do know to do until I figure that out. There's, yep. nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I've come across some really weird traits. Yeah. Yeah. Like from head and neck cancer patients, that like the Larry tube kind of trait you're know yeah. talking about. But it's not like a laryngectomy, it's like a yeah it's like a layer two before yeah anyway yeah just like some weird weird stuff yeah i was like this is a different kind of trick than i'm used to we are going to be very very careful today i'm actually going to go get the respiratory therapist hold on yeah (laughs) Um, yeah you don't move right stay right there (laughs) and you know that that's I think that's way better than, you know, slapping on some gloves and fiddling around with it and poking around and seeing what's going on. Yeah. But yes. And so one of the other things I want to talk about with that is because of the wide breadth of what has to go on in rehab, the other things that, you know, SLPs, we kind of beat up on each other between levels of care about why didn't they do this or... This patient's cognition is, you know, just jacked up and they didn't, they must have not worked very hard on that in rehab. Not to excuse it away, to be like, well, we have all this to work on. Sometimes you're going to treat the most pertinent thing going on and you don't have time for everything. And given the short amount of time that they're staying there, I don't, if I wanted to do a full, full, full assessment of everything, if I wanted to do a modified anaphys and a Western aphasia battery and a fluoride and like a battery of cognitive exams, by the time I finished that, it would be time to retest and there would be no treatment going on. And what if I did all that? And then you don't get the correct documentation for all of those assessments that I gave. So I do touch on everything. I do try to you know get a you know a, a scan of everything, but you kind of have to triage a bit, and I try to make it very clear in my discharge summaries, which sometimes I know that's the only thing that goes out. Here's what we started with. Here's where we are now. Here's what I'm recommending, and just kind of giving that SLP a rundown of, you know, I know that this is still an issue. Or the treatment was primarily targeted on decannulation, swallowing, and voice, cognitive, you know, a patient would benefit from more direct cognitive treatment. And I mean, because what are they going to say that right. they have ignored the trach and kept right. them MPO to work on the co- I mean, but I try to give them, you know, the benefit of the doubt, uh, let them give me the benefit of the doubt by explaining to them kind of what's going on. Um, and it's, it's moving more and more and more towards that acute care side where now a lot of acute care SLPs, they're like, I just treat swallowing or that's 90% of my day is Rehab is starting to move more and more and more towards that because of how quickly they're getting there, how short they're staying and just how, how sick they are. Yeah. Mm. The last two days, I'll repeat the assessment. And then the day of discharge, we might watch the video of the repeat instrumental, give them a revised home exercise program, revised compensatory strategy recommendations. And then I always love to talk about the next level of care and what they need and how to interview for the right SLP for your needs. And like right now I have some burn patients and I'll just, you know, I'll be blunt. I'll be like, you really need to ask these SLPs. Have you ever worked with a burn patient before? Do you know how to work with yeah. Christmas? Do you do myofascial release? Do you know about muscle tension, dysphagia and dysphonia? And I'm like, there's nothing. There's no-. You would ask your thoracic surgeon, how many times have you done this heart surgery before and wouldn't feel bad about it? Well, you should, right. You can do the same thing with your SLP. and weigh your options you may only have one option in your area but there are some things that maybe you could alert them that hey they're going to need this you might need to do a little bit of homework or how to look for the right SLP to to get the best care that they need
0: yeah I love it Taylor
1: yeah so what what kind of do you have any like questions or things that you think people are like what about rehab what do y'all do
0: no I think that was great
1: okay okay I rambled a little bit. I got bit.
0: nothing. I love when you ramble.
1: <laughs> That's generally like how it goes. It's it's a little it's pleasant chaos.
0: Yeah. I love it.
1: Never a dull day.
0: Yeah, I love it. All right. Do you have any final thoughts?
1: No, I mean if anybody um has specific questions for me, I can leave you my contact info. I don't know everything. I may not be able to help you at all, but maybe I can can I point you in the direction or let you know what I might try. Yeah. Or if you have questions specifically about rehab.
0: Yeah. We might have you come back and talk about burn patients because I know that's really sparked a huge interest this week.
1: It's my new, it's my new fave.
0: Your new jam. Yeah.
1: Yes, I'm totally about it.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, dude.
1: All right. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Talk to you soon. See ya. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening.